Christ is risen. risen Today is kind of a funny day. Um, And so before I I, I get into anything, can I just tell you a story that doesn't have anything to do with anything just because I want to tell the story? Is that okay? Um, (laughs) Last night, uh, kind of late, my wife and I got invited out to Oktoberfest. Um, not really our scene, like that's not a, a, a thing, but it's, it's a spectacle, right? And so we said, yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll go. Um, didn't stay long, and as we're leaving, we had, we had taken an Uber there from a, a friend's house, and we needed to get back to our friend's house, but we were just kind of on our own, right? And so I had this idea, because there are all of these scooters, like, I, yeah, I know. It's not, this isn't going where you think it's going to go. So I walk over to a scooter and I'm like, Lissa, who's my wife, who I don't talk about enough. She's incredible. So I walk over to a scooter and I, you know, if you've ever done one of these, you scan the QR code, you put in some information and it unlocks the scooter and then you're on your way. So I tell her like, hey, you get on this one. I scan the code, she's on the scooter. And without saying a word to me, she is just gone. (laughs) And so I'm there with my phone that I've just unlocked her scooter with. And now I'm in this sea of scooters, assuming, because again, we don't do this often, they're like, I can just go unlock another scooter. It doesn't work that way. You have to like end the ride and it's, it's a whole thing. Well, there's more than one scooter brand, right? So she's off on a lime and I'm like, there's a bird scooter here. So I go thinking it's gonna be just as simple. I scan the code and it's like, download the app. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Remember, Lissa's gone. <laughs> so there are these two women sitting at this little booth and they finally say to me, sir, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm just, I'm just trying to like unlock a scooter. And they're like, man, your wife just really left you, didn't she? I said, yeah. So eventually my wife calls me and she's dying laughing because in her brilliance and in her incredible sense of humor, she had taken off and she thought it'd be really funny if I just lay this scooter down and then position myself thus in the grass to make it seem as though I've crashed this scooter because Paul's right behind me. I was not right behind her. And so this other lady in this golf cart comes driving by, freaks out that Lissa is clearly someone who's just enjoyed Oktoberfest a little too much and crashed this scooter. So she like quickly sits up, like, no, no, I'm fine. This was just a joke, which is totally something that someone would say if they were a little too intoxicated <laughs> and had just gotten busted, you know, crashing this scooter. This is just a joke. This story doesn't have anything to do with anything. I just think it's funny. So she, st- she stands up. And she realizes that she's laid down in grass that was like covered in burrs. And she's wearing a sweater. And they are everywhere. 
So eventually, I catch up to her. We get another scooter, and she's just pulling these burrs off. All It was awful. This morning, she wakes up, and she's like, why do my fingers hurt so bad? I'm like, you were picking off these burrs for... This doesn't have anything to do with anything. I just think it's a funny story. <laughs> Today is also kind of funny because uh, we're marking today, October 23rd, as Sanctuary's anniversary. Um, I know, to all of our surprise. (laughs) So, a couple of reasons why that's a tricky date to nail down. One is because Sanctuary, for those of you who don't know, we're actually the result of a couple of communities that have merged together. Um, If you don't know that that's part of Sanctuary's history, welcome. Um, there was Sanctuary Church that was started actually as, as People's Church back in 2002. And that was, that was led by then Pastor Ed Gunger. And then there was Life Connection. And, and they go even further back than that. And so to try and find a date that was like, this is when we're going to mark our, our anniversary, it was, was kind of tricky. It's like you can't just pick... Life Connection's date, even though they predate Sanctuary. You can't just pick Sanctuary's date, even though we're now called Sanctuary. So we went with the merger date. And so today, surprise, Sanctuary, you're 11 years old, which is really exciting. Today's texts, they're um, a little unsettling. Let's, Let's say it that way. Because so much of what I try to do and hope that you hear week in and week out is as we're reading these texts, we're trying to locate ourselves. We're trying to find where are we in these stories that we hear from the Gospels or from the Old Testament texts or maybe in in an epistle writing. We're always trying to locate ourselves. And that's tricky. And sometimes like the most fun kind of sermons are the ones where they're like, hey, you've thought we're this kind of person, but it turns out we're over here. But today and, and, and this week, going through the texts, it just wasn't that simple. Because everywhere I turned, everywhere I looked, and maybe this is just the, 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 the mood I was in or the attitude that I had this week, Nothing really felt like good news. I mean, so much of the work that I feel like we're trying to do here at Sanctuary, which we should talk about on a day like Sanctuary's anniversary, we realize that so many of you have come to us having gone through, or maybe you're in the middle of, having experienced some kind of, you know, what we were calling deconstruction, or uh, maybe decluttering is, is maybe a better way of putting it. That we're, we're learning what it is to still engage in our spirituality in ways that are faithful and in ways that are meaningful, in ways that are life-giving, while also learning to, to shed some of those things that, that don't serve us well. Learning to shed some of those things that maybe historically have, have become toxic to us. So we're constantly trying to learn and unlearn and relearn faithful ways of talking about this business of Christianity, of our spirituality. And so trying to locate ourselves in these stories became really tricky. I mean, let's look at just this, this first text that we have from 
the Gospels that we just read. And we're, we're introduced to maybe the, the most obnoxious person that we encounter in the Gospels, right? This, this Pharisee who goes up to pray. And he's saying a lot of things. He's saying, you know, thank you that I'm not like this person. I'm not like that tax collector. I'm not like this adulterer. I'm not, you know, like all these other terrible sinners. But it's even more than that. It's not just thank you that I'm not like those people. I'm not like those bad people. But even the good people, I'm actually a little better than them too. What does he say? He says, I, I fast twice a week. Now, there is nothing anywhere in Jewish law that dictates you have to fast once a week. And this guy is like, twice a week I fast, right? I mean, there's, there's rhythms, of course, to fasting and feasting. But in Jewish tradition, it's like there's, there's one part of the year around a few days where it's appropriate to fast. Twice a week I fast. And then what does he say? He says, I tithe all of my income. <laughs> now, again, nowhere is it required for you to tithe all of your income. And it's actually a little suspicious too. It's like, oh, does he really? And so, of course, there's this, this part of us that says we don't want to be this guy because this guy is, he's like the classic overachiever. And we know these people. Now, if we know them, there's also a chance that we, we loathe them as well. That overachievers, they're just the worst, aren't they? Uh, I'm not an overachiever, but our society would fall apart if it weren't for the overachievers. I mean, if, if people like me were in charge of the world, we would still be in the stone age. We would have lots of times for like napping and stargazing, but in terms of like advancement, you know, we wouldn't have much going for us. So he's this, this classic overachiever and he's saying, who, who does this? We should be reading this story going, does anybody actually do this? Does he really think that this is the kind of prayer God wants to hear from us? Thank God. Good start. God, I thank you. We should begin there. That I'm not like those people. Now we've taken a turn way too far. Do we really think God wants to hear these kinds of prayers? Thank you that I'm not like them. And then one of the things that we see in this text, in all of Luke, really, is that Luke is kind of a, a heavy-handed editor. And so he doesn't like to leave much to the imagination or leave much up for interpretation. And so he actually says that Jesus is telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So we're meant to see that here's the person who thinks they're too righteous, so let's look to the next person. And this person for us should be some kind of model Christian, some kind of model citizen, right? And so it's set up to see this other man in the temple as, as the good example, and this of course is the tax collector. And it says that he stands far off, and we don't know exactly what he's standing far off from. There's a chance that he's just standing far away from the Pharisee, 
because, I mean, the Pharisee obviously holds this person in contempt. He could be standing far away from everything. We don't know, but he's by himself. And he's also, he's beating his chest. He's asking for mercy. This is the posture. And it says that he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. Can't even gaze in the right direction. And somehow we're supposed to see this as right. But this week, it just hit me different. That as much as I realize we're not supposed to be this, this Pharisee guy. God, thank you, I'm not like those people. There's also a way in which I think we can take our, our, our pride in our unrighteousness too far. Right? If the Pharisee is this example of taking pride in your righteousness... This tax collector, for me, this week, it felt like he's taking pride in his unrighteousness. <laughs> this kind of, woe is me, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I can't even lift my eyes to the heavens as I'm praying. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like the way that God wants to invite us into God's own life. God is not interested in, in browbeating us, making us feel bad. Do we need God's mercy? Yes, we need God's mercy. But should we just sit there and marinate in our unworthiness? No. So, I mean, I think there's times when this is appropriate, times when we should grieve the ways in which we've left things undone and we've done those things that we shouldn't have done. But again, this week, it just felt like, man, this isn't it either. So I thought, well, what do I do now? Because here's the gospel. We're supposed to be finding ourselves in this story someplace. So I thought, well, let's go to some of the other texts. And it turns out it just got worse from there. You'll see what I mean. Our psalm for today comes out of Psalm 84. And of course... In the Psalms, we have all kinds of emotions, all kinds of feelings that are happening. Listen to this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Now, this is really wonderful. Today and this week, I heard it as so annoying that there's this kind of overzealousness for the house of the Lord. <laughs> Here's what I mean. My daughter, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, I have two. Her name's Eleanor, and I love this girl. She is, she is my heart and soul. This morning, if you're a parent, you know this experience. I, I was kind of stirring in bed, and I just had this sense that I was being watched. Do you know what I mean? And I, I slowly opened my eyes, and sure enough, there's my daughter Nora standing over the bed. <laughs> terrifying. This is a terrifying way to wake up. And not only is she standing there, but I realize she is fully dressed, ready to go to church. And I thought, what time is it? And it was, brothers and sisters in Christ, 7 a.m. <laughs> the psalmist was hitting me that way this week. 
just this, this over-excitement for the house of the Lord. Like, this is my job. I, I love this work and will continue to do this work because I love this work. But if like on Tuesday, you and I are having a conversation and you're like, man, I just can't wait to get to the house of the Lord on Sunday. I'm gonna think, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, let's, let's just tamper our excitement just, just a little bit, right? This person loves church so much. And the reality is there's just so much going on in the world. There's, there's so many other things happening. There's so many things that require our attention. There is pain in the world that needs our, our attentiveness. There's a lot going on in the world. Too much going on in the world for us to constantly just be obsessed with meeting in the house of the Lord. I know this is maybe cutting sideways, right? And again, I love the church. <laughs> this, is, this is my job. But there was a little part of me this week reading this, again, trying to locate ourselves and find ourselves, where I thought, if you love church like this, maybe just keep it to yourself. So I thought, well, I don't want this. And there was, there was a lot of this that even felt a little bit like the Pharisee to me. And I mean, it just goes on and on from what I read. Even a, a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise continually. It sounds like the Pharisee to me. So I thought, well, let's look at the epistle. And this is Paul's letter. This is in 2 Timothy and there's a little bit of uncertainty about this text. I mean, it, it, we don't know for sure uh, that this was Paul. This might have been a, a follower of Paul who's writing this later on. And you'll, you'll see why that's possible here in just a minute. But he says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. So <laughs> he's coming from Oktoberfest. <laughs> but he's coming to the end of his life. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Again, I read this this week and all I can hear is the certainty of the Pharisee. I've done it all right and God is anxiously waiting to place that crown on my head. It hit me as, as so self-satisfied, which it doesn't always hit me this way, but it did this week. And we know, I mean, some of the reason why this, this almost doesn't even line up exactly with Paul is because we know that Paul was somebody who was deeply troubled throughout his life. And so there's something about this certainty that even is a little suspicious. Like, was this even, was this even Paul? Does this even sound like him? 
I mean, it seems like it would have been like Paul for him to be wondering what his legacy would be. Wondering why no one else is with him. Wondering if anything that he has done actually matters. But this Paul, this sounds a long way off from I am the chief of sinners. It sounds a long way off from I despaired of this life. A long way off from Luke alone is with me. Oftentimes we hear this text at funerals, right? That I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But this week I was thinking, man, if I was writing this for myself, I'm sure there would just be a lot more doubt in me at the end. A lot more wondering at the end than this. I won't be so sure. I'll probably be looking to my wife asking for that reassurance. Did, did we do okay? Did we get it right? At least half of the time. So this didn't feel right either. Which leaves us with Jeremiah. And if your only hope is in Jeremiah, you know it's been, it's been a rough week. He, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And like, that's a nickname that you earn, right? That's, that's one that doesn't come easy. And most of us, when we think about Jeremiah, we think about the prophet Jeremiah, we think about some of those really lovely texts from Jeremiah, like Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans for your goodness, right? We think about these texts from Jeremiah, but we don't remember often enough that when Jeremiah is writing that text, I know the plans I have for you. He's announcing a future that he's never going to realize. God has told him, you're going to die before any of the things that you're prophesying are actually going to come true. There's a, a really brilliant Old Testament scholar and he, he talks about, um, I've lost his name and that happens, but he talks about Jeremiah as the prophet of lost causes. That Jeremiah is the one who is always announcing a future that he's never going to be able to take part in. So he's the, the weeping prophet. And these are the texts that we received from Jeremiah this week out of Jeremiah 14. Listen to all those pages flipping in the congregation today. Jeremiah 14, this is start, starting in verse seven. Though our guilt testifies against us, Yahweh, act for your name's sake. Indeed, our rebellions are many. We have sinned against you. Hope of Israel, its savior in time of distress, why are you like a foreigner in the land, like a traveler stopping only for the night? Why are you like a helpless man, like a warrior unable to save? Yet you are among us, O oh God, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Jeremiah here is saying, our sins are over our heads. Our guilt has swallowed us, swallowed us up. And God, if you're going to save us, it has to be for your sake because there's, there's nothing in us to save. But God, you're kind of like that warrior 
powerful, who never really shows up to the battle. <laughs> you're, you're kind of like that traveler who shows up in the middle of the night at the least convenient time and then only stays for a night and then you're gone when we actually need you. Jeremiah is saying, you're confused, God, but our, our hope is in you, <laughs> we think, we hope. By the time you get to declaring that God is your hope, you've actually lost all hope that God is actually going to save you. That's essentially what Jeremiah is saying. We've done wrong. We need to be saved. If we're going to be saved, it's going to be because God's going to do it. But God is like that warrior who never makes it in time to fight for us. And he's like that traveler who shows up and then when we need him, he's gone. But God, our hope is in you. If, if God is a confused warrior who shows up after the battle is over and he only stays one night, what hope is there? Isn't this an encouraging message today? <laughs> so to recap, we've, we've gone to the Pharisee who is over the top, right? So confident in his righteousness, proud in his righteousness. And we realize we don't want to do that. And then we look to the tax collector, but he's, he's over the top in this opposite way, almost proud in his unrighteousness. And then you have this, this over-eager psalmist who's waving his banners in the aisle, right, and waking me up at 7.30 in the morning. Then we have Paul, who he's so secure, strangely secure and having achieved so much, contemplating his faith-filled life, anticipating the crown that's going to be placed upon his head. And then we have Jeremiah, who just needs an invitation to Oktoberfest and just put a stein in his hand and deliver him from his distress, please. And that's it. The word of the Lord. These are our options today that we find in the lectionary. So how do we find ourselves here? We can't pick the Pharisee. The tax collector might be worse because we're kind of sitting in this, this self-loathing, woe is me, nothing I ever do is good enough. And it's like, to the tax collector, Surely there are, there are worse tax collectors, right? Like, you're not the worst one of them. Like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do what you're doing, but, I mean, come on. Like, at least you're here. At least you're in the temple. At least you're, you're praying. You're doing something right. Some of what we should hear today is that it's okay to be all over the place spiritually. We've all had moments at some point or another where we are all these people, we've been the Pharisee, we've been the tax collector who's just existing in their woeful existence. We've all been that psalmist at some point, anxious to be part of the people of God. We've also been Jeremiah who says, I don't really know what all's going on here and it doesn't look like there's much hope, but God, our hope is in you. And we've been Paul. We've been that person who we're kind of in our stride. We're kind of feeling pretty good about ourselves. We feel like, man, we're, 
we're doing all the right things. We're saying all the right stuff. Life feels meaningful. I'm feeling accomplished. We're all prone to being a little spiritually bipolar. Especially as as a community. I think one of the beautiful things about this moment is that even in this room, there are Pharisees and there are tax collectors and there are Pauls and there are Jeremiahs. And I, I think it's safe to say there's probably no psalmists in the room. But we're all here. And we're here and we're letting Jesus wrap his arms around us as a community and say, you are all welcome together. You're invited into this space, into this moment, and to this table. Every single one of us. And Jesus, he welcomes us and he invites us to be together with him. That's what it is to come to the table. We don't come by ourselves or for ourselves. We come to the table with others, for others, because Jesus is there. That's why we come to this table week in and week out. So how do we do this in a way that that, that is faithful? How do we kind of navigate some of this bipolarness that we oftentimes experience? A couple minutes, and I hope to show you how. I think the key for us is to not fret about where you are. If you've located yourself today, the the point is not to say, okay, I realize that I'm the Pharisee, but now I've got to do all this stuff to fix myself so I'm not the Pharisee anymore. Or, you know, I realize I've been Jeremiah and I've been kind of unhopeful about the future, maybe even a little pessimistic about things, but I just need to to cheer up and, and see the bright side of things. The point is not to fix ourselves. The point is to not fret. The point is to turn toward whatever it is we're feeling and experiencing. And we can acknowledge it. Naming it is helpful. And then we realize that it is a part of the human experience. Part of what it is to be a person, a human being, is to at some point be all of these different people. So we don't fret. We don't try to fix it. We simply say, this is where I am and who I am and where I am. And I'm going to stay here with God and God's people. That's the point. Stay like Jeremiah. Stay long enough to see, to get to that point of understanding that God is your hope. Even when everything points to the contrary. Even when you've been in that battle and you're going, God, where are you? And then the thing is over and then here he comes. Even when the knock comes in the middle of the night and we are inconvenienced and we're caring for others and we're handling all of the emotional labor and we're doing all the work and then right when we need those people, they're gone. God is still our hope to stay with God, and with the people of God. That's the key. We stay close to God, and we stay close 
to the people of God. When your mood changes from the psalmist to Jeremiah, when we go from being self-assured to insecure about ourselves, when you swing from pride in your righteousness to pride in your unrighteousness, let these rhythms be constant. Come to the table. Give yourself to scripture, to prayer, to worship, to gathering together with the people of God. Stay close to God and to God's people. And whatever moment you find yourself in, don't run from it. Don't try to fix it. Just turn and face it and stay tethered to the people of God. One last thought. In this text with Paul, and we see this in a couple places. In this text with Paul, he's recounting all of his accomplishments. And again, I'm kind of rolling my eyes as I'm reading it, talking about the crown that's going to be placed on his head. In the middle of all of this recounting, he just, for some reason, remembers these people who abandoned him. So he mentions it. He, he says, I remember those who deserted me. And then the very next line, the very next note, he says, but don't count it against them. What a strange thing to be recounting your life, the meaning of your work and the things that you've accomplished, and then to go, oh yeah, and there were all these people who just deserted and fled and just left me alone right in the middle of it all. Don't hold that against them. What a strange turn. The Pharisee, in our gospel text today. Remember what it says right at the beginning that the Pharisee says, thank you I'm not like other people. And who does he name? The guy that he's just seen. He notices the tax collector and then he comes to mind in his prayers. Thank you I'm not like that person. But notice where he is. It says the Pharisee Standing by himself. He's alone. That's why there's no hope for him in this story that Jesus is telling. He's saying there's no hope here because he's by himself. He's separated himself from the people of God. So here's the point. How do we navigate all of this? Henry Nouwen has this this beautiful line where he says, the first question we should ask ourselves is not how much do we do or how many people do we help, but are we interiorly at peace? He says, this is why Jesus was able to go about his life healing people without doing anything. And he recounts so many stories in the Gospels where people remember just reach out and touch Jesus and they're healed. Jesus doesn't do anything. He is a healing presence in the world. And so I think this is the point for us. That our, our call as a community here on our 11th anniversary is that we're to be people who have that same kind of healing presence in the world. And we become those kinds of people by being at peace with ourselves, not being so thrown by all of the swings in our mood and our feelings and our experiences. 
we're at peace with ourselves, but we're at peace with ourselves as we are at peace in God, knowing that our hope is in him. And that no matter what is going on, we can be at peace. And our peace brings healing to other people who are thrown and battered by the changes and chances of this life. We are people who rest in God's eternal changelessness. Amen.